And in his article, he called on American Christians to stop supporting Israel. And, uh, you know, I've told you for years, uh, if America ever stops supporting Israel, you can go ahead and kiss, it, kiss her goodbye because um, I believe that's on, on, it's probably the only reason we have survived to this extent with all the junk in this, uh, moral junk in this country is because we have supported, we have been the only real global ally that Israel has. And uh, so um, I thought that was interesting. And then I read a, an article uh, about um, uh, the, young, the younger generation of Americans. Well, and not just Americans. The article also did, they did surveys of um, uh, the, a younger generation in Israel. But in America, they were asking them, should we be supporting Israel? Should we support young evangelicals? Should we support Israel? And um, the good news is the, the majority of them said yes. The bad news is it should have been much higher. And the article pointed out that this is a warning sign. And, because, uh, uh, and, and it went on to say the reason for the, the declining support among the young generations coming up uh, for Israel, can you imagine what it is? Well, uh, probably somewhere in there, Doug, but do you know what it was? They, they don't know the history. They don't know history. They don't know about Israel. And frankly, I would argue they don't know their Bibles very well. Uh, and then uh, I read about um, a, a mainline denomination which uh, just ordained and elected a transgender to be one of their major bishops. And... Um, this particular denominational group went on uh, to say that, that uh, we should eliminate Israel from the Christian uh, support and perspective. And um, they have done a Bible translation uh, which has removed the word Israel from the New Testament. And they said, because the Israel of the Scripture is not the Israel today. So they have taken the liberty just to remove it from the Scripture. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't believe that we're moving into the season of the end, it means you just don't understand your Bible. Because all of these things are very much, and we've talked about them for a year, but you know, I, t I told you, um, every week... If you know your Bible and you read your paper, you'll say, hmm, that seems strangely similar to what God said. So we're seeing uh, some of that. But I, I just thought that was interesting since Bob was praying for Israel. We need to keep praying for them. Uh, my personal opinion is, thank God for Benjamin Netanyahu. He's a very strong uh, leader, and he won't take anything off of the adversaries of Israel. They are trying to remove him. I didn't, and by the way, I didn't say he's a, a man above reproach. But, um, but I will say this. He has kept uh, at bay the enemies of Israel uh, because of the strength of his position about who Israel is and their right to exist. And you hear, by the way, the argument, well, Hamas and the Palestinians have a right to exist. Well, they, of course they have a right to exist. But 
what you're not told, in particular like the Washington Post, this guy writing this, he doesn't have a clue about, about history and and or they want to stick their head in the sands and deny that Hamas is a terrorist organization. In fact, we still have labeled them as a terrorist organization. Amer the, the label from our government is that they are a terrorist organization. So you, need, you do need to pray for Israel because uh, right now the climate in this country is to slowly begin to abandon Israel. So watch, you watch, and however you read or follow, and by the way, be careful about news. They, I, I, told, I was telling some of our staff, we were eating lunch yesterday, we got to talking about news, and I said, I grew up listening, my dad, every night we listened to Huntley and Brinkley. How many of you remember Huntley and Brinkley? And Walter Cronkite. Now, I'll tell you something that I told them. They, of course, mo some of them grew up listening to them uh, from their crib. Um, but uh, some of them know who they are. Most of our staff probably doesn't really know who Huntley and Brinkley was or Walter Cronkite. Maybe have heard of them. But you remember Walter Cronkite. Let me use that as an example. And um, Walter Cronkite. He just presented the news. He just here's the news. Um, and um, and Huntley and Brinkley did too. But did you know that Walter Cronkite was is a notorious liberal? In fact, with communist and socialistic leanings. Did y'all know that? And I said. But I said, I didn't mind listening to the news because it was just news. Here's the news, not here's my bias on the news. Here's the news. And by the way, you know, all sides of news today spin news. Now, you do know that. All sides spin it now. We've lost the ability to just say, here's what's going on. Here's the news. So, um, so you just listen to me, and I'll tell you what the news is. <laughs> well, that we have come a long way to the left in a short period of time. Well, this here's what you have to understand: cultures decay. That's what history shows. Empires decay. That's why there's not a Roman Empire anymore, or the Persian Empire, or the Babylonian, the great empires of the world. Everything has a life cycle. And I believe that is because they all tend to self-destruct sooner or later. Uh, the Roman Empire in particular, if you want to see a parallel to America, the Roman Empire uh, lasted over 500 years, but do you know... What happened, it was destroyed from within. By the way, from corrupt politicians, from a weak, uh, their military finally weakened. They had a military that was unlike anything. But you know what happened? They began, the military began to get soft. Their military uh, began to be, get soft. Uh, they began to hire uh, mercenaries to fight for them if they had battles or 
things. They hired mercenaries to fight for them. Now, I want to tell you something. A mercenary, is okay. he didn't mind taking your place in battle until his life's on the line, and then he throws his weapons down and runs. You see, the Roman soldiers, at their peak, they had something to defend. And we're seeing, not our, our, our soldiers, that's not what I'm saying, but we're seeing this, this kind of cultural malaise that's, that's, uh, that's spinning downward. And that is why things seem like they go faster. Frankly, uh, things tend to pick up speed when they start going. Whichever way the momentum is going picks up speed. That's true in theology and in liberal theology. You're hearing now things, well, I just quoted something from a mainline denomination. You're hearing things like that. And the pace is quickening on that stuff. The Bible tells us in the last days there will be a great falling away. Right? So you see that whether you see it culturally or whether you see it theologically. It is the way of humanity without God. It is the natural outplay of humanity when they live without God. And by the way, every succeeding generation gets further and further and further away from the truth. It's one of the reasons we're starting a school. I know I can't stop it, but we can do something, can't we? We can do something. And I, I've asked our task force, I said, you know, when we start setting up a curriculum, it's going to be a Christian-based curriculum. It's going to teach real history. And I said, I know, they're elementary kids, but by the time they get to the fifth grade, I want them to know a little bit about what we call civics. Y'all know what civics are. You had civics. Didn't you have civics? Did everybody have civics? I, today they don't call it civics. You know what they call it? Social studies. But I'll tell you, it's not civics. It doesn't resemble civics. And um, so I said, I want them pledging the, uh, allegiance to the flag. I want them praying. I want them having Bible reading. We're going to do chapels. Uh, look, if the leftist agenda, moral left, immoral left, that's probably what I should say, wants to poison the mind starting now in kindergarten, we better step up. And so this is something we can do. Uh, so you, by the way, pray for our, our school. All right, well, gosh, y'all almost used up my time with preliminaries. Uh, by the way, Sunday, Sunday, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a break still from my myth series. I'll get back there. Uh, but man, the Lord just put something on me. I just, I just thought, God, I, I need to preach this. Um, it's on uh, limiting God. Do you ever limit God? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you three ways we tend to limit God. Uh, some stuff that I, I shared recently with our, our staff, but I was working on that message uh, today. I'm going to share that with you this uh, coming um, uh, Sunday. So, But for tonight, Esther chapter 4 is where we are, as you can see on the board. or the white. Uh, can you all see over here on the side? I don't know if you can see it. Um, and I want to show you some things. Now, I gave you homework last week. Did anybody do it? Okay, Mike and Buster. 
Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you, you three of you did it. The rest of you stay after class. Uh, but uh, we're talking about Esther. We all, we, is everybody familiar enough with the story of Esther? We're pretty familiar with the story of Esther. And we know she's risen to the place where she is the queen. And uh, uh, a wicked man named Haman has manipulated a very weak king, really. Uh, Xerxes. And Haman has persuaded him, the king, to give him control over the Jews. And he decides he's going to kill them. Mordecai, cousin or uncle, again, uh, pending, uh, who has raised Esther, uh, tells Esther what's going on in these verses here uh, uh, before. And uh, consequently, he says, you've got to do something. You're in a position to do something. And Esther replies to him, well, you know, no one is allowed to go into the king unless the king calls for them. And if somebody goes into the king that hasn't been called for, uh, yeah, Mike, it's, it's death. Unless he extends his scepter. And that's like, you know, giving, giving you a pass. It's okay, and your, your life will be spared. So that's, that's where we are in the story. This is, in the entire book, the most popular uh, part of the entire story. There's a lot more to the story, as we'll see in the weeks to come, but this is the most popular part. So that's, um, uh, that's the, the setup, all right? So let's pick up in verse... Um, 12 it says and they told Mordecai what Esther had said you know Esther had said look I can't just go in and that sort of thing all right so they told Mordecai what Esther Mordecai there's a a guy named Hathak and he is the intermediary he's he's a, a eunuch that works for in the service of the queen so so she's sending a message to Mordecai through this um this servant of hers, and then Mordecai sending a message back. That's how it's going, all right? So they told Mordecai what Esther said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Here's what you send back to her. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. So that's his message. That's his message back, right? He said, don't, Esther, don't be naive, don't think because you're in the palace that you'll escape because when they realize you're a Jew, remember the edict that, that Xerxes had uh, uh, substantiated we talked about last week? That meant it's a law. So all of the Jews were to be wiped out, and that would apply to any Jew. And so Mordecai says, you're not going to be spared just because you're in the king's palace when uh, it becomes known that you're a Jew. And then verse 14, this is one of the great verses in the Scripture. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for, uh, for the Jews from another place. I'm going to come back and talk about that. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther uh, told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. That's the capital. 
and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, uh, night, uh, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do, and then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And then Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. What a great, what a great segment of this story, isn't it? This dialogue that's going on. And so I want to show you uh, several things. First of all, I want you to see um, the declaration. What is the declaration there? Here's what, after, after the facts are known, okay, you're going to die too. So uh, Mordecai says, if you keep silent, he's saying, you've got to step up, you've got to speak up. Uh, you've got to declare which side you're on. You can't say, stay silent. One of the books uh, that I, I've got on this list for you Sunday is entitled, We Cannot Be Silent. It's by Erwin Lutzer, one of my favorite authors. I read it months ago when it came out. I read just about everything he's written. But this book, it, when you read it, you're going to go, yeah, everybody needs to read that. In fact, David Jeremiah even said of this book, he said, if I could put one book in the hands of every Christian uh, in America, this would be the book. And, uh, and so it's about the fact that we can't be silent. You can't, there, there are some things you can't be silent about. Now, that doesn't mean you have to speak out about everything. It doesn't mean you have to stand up against everything. You've got to know, uh, let's, can I use this in the church? You've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Yeah. Well, whether I can or not, I just did. Kenny Rogers said that, didn't he? Well, the fact is, you, every... When I was young in the ministry, my mentor, Bill Anderson, told me something. I never have forgotten it. And I'd get fired up about something. I'd get worked up about something. And I'd go and say, Bill, we probably need to, we need to, we need to do this. And he'd just wait and let me get it all out of my system and everything. And then he'd say, no, that's not a battle that, that we need to tackle right now. He said, no, there are some battles. Now, by the way, one of the things he told me, he said, Never, uh, he's, he said, never lay down on a moral issue. But he said a lot of the things that we get worked up about aren't worth getting worked about. But if it's a moral issue, he said, don't you ever lay down on a moral issue. But he also helped me with something. He told me this. This is a line that I, I love, and I've used it, and it's stuck with me all the years. Besides that, uh, it, it is, every battle is not Armageddon. Does that make sense to you? What is Armageddon? It's that ultimate final battle. I mean, the, the ultimate uh, 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 war of all wars, you know. But his point to me was what? Know which battles to fight. Because not every battle is Armageddon. If it's Armageddon, you don't have any choice. But make sure you don't, everything isn't Armageddon. But I'll tell you something. Uh, uh, tragically, many today in the church are going the way of silence. Are, uh, they're going the way of silence. And I know part of it, you know where it starts? It starts in the pulpit. Uh, it starts in the pulpit. But uh, there are many uh, uh, 
today who just say, let's just don't, let's just don't, you know, stir the pot. And, uh, you know, did you know evangelical pastors in World War II refused to speak, speak out about the atrocities that they were watching? And, um, and because Hitler kept telling them, no, no, it's not going to happen to you. No, no, y'all just keep doing your thing. Y'all do your thing, we'll do our thing. That's what Hitler said to them. Until finally he had such control, he said, now, you're not going to do your thing at all anymore. Don't ever believe that we can't get there. And so you have to know what to stand. But that's what, that's what we see there. Mordecai says, for if you keep silent at this time, there's a time to stand up. He was saying, you've got to take your stance. You've got to declare what side you're on. There's a time to declare. Uh, there's a time to stand up and uh, speak out. And then he says, but I love this. He says, so if you keep silent this time, relief and what? The deliverance. The deliverance, he says, will rise for the Jews from another place. Now, I've got three lessons I want to give you on that, so I'm going to just kind of hold on there. But he says deliverance will come from another source. God, look, here's the, here's the message that he was saying. God is not going to let his people be wiped out. But what he's saying to her is, you can be the instrument that God uses. All right? But God will deliver His people. By the way, that's a statement of great faith, isn't it? Because He's saying, I, I, I have confidence that God is going to make this work out. But He's put you in a place, and here's what He's really saying. It's your responsibility to take the next step. Alright? So, there's the declaration, there's the deliverance. And look on down. So, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, here's the great line, whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. This is about the dedication. The dedication of her life. Uh, Mordecai says to her, Esther, God has favored you. Why do you think he's done that? And, you know, remember when we were reading the early parts of this book, we saw how God had favored her, right? He moved her up. He gave her special attention uh, uh, among all these ladies who were candidates to be queen. He, he favored her in that regard. He gave her favor with, with the king in particular. And so what Mordecai is saying, uh, uh, God has put you in this unique place, and he has made this path. So you uh, could make a difference. God has put you in a place to make a difference. Now, that's true for all of us. You say, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Really? Now, you say, where is that? I don't know. It may be in the war room, James. You know? That may be the place. It may be some other, it may be places along the way. I certainly believe in that. But, but it requires a dedication to 
the bigger purposes of God. I'll come back to that. Okay, and then the last thing I would show you is her statement when she says, then I'll go unto the king and those against the law. If I perish, I perish. Here's the here's where many people never go forward with God. It's the decision. See, all of these things were true, right? But at some point in time, she had to decide. And and she was willing to lay her life down. That's the decision she made. She was saying, if I die, I die. Um, God has, she, she realized what Mordecai said, that she was the beneficiary of the blessing of God. And if I die, I die. Um, it reminds me of a couple of other characters in the Bible. Can you all think of them? How about Daniel who refused to pray to the golden idol, remember? And was thrown into the lion's den. Uh, we know that story. Uh, he made a commitment, he made a decision that he knew might cost him his life. Who else? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as our daughter used to say when she was little, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. Um, but they'd made the same decision. They said, okay. And they were very respectful, by the way. They weren't trying to rebel against They just said, you've asked us now to move out from uh, supporting the government to now violating our allegiance to God. Peter talked about that. That's not what our discussion's about tonight, maybe sometime down the road. How do we know when to, how, how do you, that, that's a hard thing. We, well, at any rate, so the decision is the hard part, isn't it? To get to that place where you make the decision to say, God. now you say, well, it turned out great for all of these folks that you've just mentioned, Pastor. It did. But it didn't for everybody. Do you know there's people today, because of their decision to live for Christ, have, have lost their life today on this, on this planet somewhere? Do you, do you recall the last part of the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, the last part of that chapter? We hear about the great men and women of faith, you know, how we're inspired by that, and we should be. But ain't too many people preach on the last part. Uh... I did a sermon years ago, I know y'all remember it, uh, called um, The Others. The Others. Let me tell you about The Others for just a second. In Hebrews 11, here, here it is in verse 36. Um, now he's talked about all these people of faith and all God had done for all these men and great women, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, all of the folks, you know, that we... We are so inspired by it. And then he says in verse uh, 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. And then he stops. He says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. That's a decision, wasn't it? They refused. And then look at verse 36. This is why I call my message the others. Others, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Um, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. We don't preach on that much, do we? But those people are named in this incredible chapter that we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. Those same people are mentioned with those others that we know so well. But, but these folks, we don't know their names. Well, I tell you who I think some of them are because he starts off, listen to this, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in other words, because of what I've just talked about, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Whew, I get chills. You know who those witnesses are? They're the people he just talked about. Therefore, <clears throat> we are surrounded. The picture is an athletic analogy of being in a coliseum on a track, running a race, being cheered on by the saints that have gone before us. They're watching you and they're saying, we did it, we did it, you can do it. They're cheering you on. Keep going. Be faithful. Stay strong. Don't yield. Trust Christ. Keep going. And they're rooting for us to finish the race and their proof that it can be finished. Well, what are the lessons? Three lessons let me give you. bet you can figure this out. The passage we just read, not the Hebrews in Esther, reminds us of these three things, that God has a plan. Remember he said, now Esther, if you don't do it, God's still going to carry out his plan. That's what he was saying. It is an extreme honor for us to get to be a part of the plans of God. And he has created you for that. But He's not dependent on you for that. Right? And you and I will be accountable for did you live out the plan that I had? So it's an opportunity. Henry Blackaby, his book, Experiencing God, is a great book, and he says this in Experiencing God. He says, find out where God is working and then get involved. Instead of trying to say, God, come and follow me. Look, find out, see where he's working. A man told me this today. Uh, he said, um, you know, he said, I remember when we first started coming to Ridgecrest. He said, we had not planned to come to Ridgecrest. He said, just too big and, you know, and he said, I had visited one time and I just, I won't go into all of that, but he, he said, so, we just not planned to go, and he said, I had not in particular, but he said, I, I came in, I guess they've been here maybe 10 years. And he said, but you know what? He said, something happened, and he said, he said I want to ask you, he asked me, he said, why does it feel so different in this place? I said, well, I think I know, I do know, 
But I said, you tell me. Instead of asking me, you tell me. Why he said, he said, number one, he said, the people. I said, the congregation's part of it, yeah. And he said, I've grown more in my, in my life with God than I've ever grown before. And I said, well, that makes it, that makes it feel different, too, because you're growing. And we talked about something. I said, in the end, it's about the presence of God. And he said, um, he said, yep. And I said, by the way, we pray for that every week. God, be here. Show up here. And we take that for granted, too, don't we? You know? I said, I'll tell you this. Even when I'm out, when I think about wanting to go to church somewhere, I want to go to Ridgecrest. I really do. Uh, we're going to do our sabbatical this summer different. I didn't take it last year, but we're going to take it this year. And I'm not going to be out there the whole month of July. I'm going to be in and out, really. But I'm going to be out uh, from July, about mid-July to about mid-August. And uh, uh, But I will tell you this, um, even when I'm in another church, my heart is still here. I, I'm not talking about you say, well, you're, you're a preacher. When I'm not preaching, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to come, you know. And, and, and so it's a, a, a wonderful thing that you and I have the opportunity to be involved uh, in the work of God, isn't it? And so God has a plan. That's what this story teaches us. But there's something else it teaches us. Can y'all figure out this one? You have a, a purpose or a part. You have a purpose, which is what we've just been talking You have been created by God with this purpose. We see that. Esther, God, God is going to do this. But isn't it just possible that he's put you where you are to help cause this to happen? You have a purpose. I know the plans that I have for you, Jeremiah 29. God said this to his people. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future and plans to, uh, to cause you to succeed. And by the way, that's not just to go out and succeed at something. It, it means to succeed when you are walking in my plan. I, I know the plans that I have for you, and there are plans that will cause you to succeed. So you have a purpose. And here's the last thing, and I'm done. God has the power. Somebody said it. God has the power. The power you need to carry out the purpose you're designed for to fulfill the plan that God has. God doesn't expect you, by the way, uh, God doesn't expect you uh, to, He doesn't expect you to do His work in your power. That's why before the disciples, before they went out, and before the day of Pentecost, Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and remain there, not to do anything, but to remain there, he said, until you are endowed with power from on high. And then he says, and then you will be my witnesses or my workers or my servants, but not before, because everything before would be done in your power and not his power.
When you leave here tonight, remember that if you're a child of God, you have the power of God. In fact, Paul called it resurrection power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that we have access to operating in our life through the Holy Spirit. And so when you leave this place tonight, remember that the Holy Spirit of God and His power belongs to you as a child of God. We are heirs. And you have that. We just don't tap into it, do we? We just forget, God, the power of the Spirit of God resides in me. You might have to remind yourself of that a little bit along the way.